Uh, I'd like to introduce Mike Runcy. Uh, he's a church outreach, outreach coordinator with Agape, um, and he he is um, helps coordinate outreach with um, congregations to help with foster and adoptive care. Much. Carson, it's a real privilege of mine to be present with you this morning and to share something that uh, I believe is very close and dear to the heart of the Father that we follow and serve. It's about uh, providing homes for children who are experiencing disruption in their lives. And you may not be aware of it as uh, much as I am, but uh, every day there are children in Middle Tennessee who are being disrupted from the families that they were born into And Agape has a great privilege and a great honor to be able to provide homes for some of those children. This morning is not so much about me reporting to you about what Agape does, though I hope to educate you somewhat, but also for this to be a plea for God to be able to plant in the hearts and minds of some of you that perhaps you will consider and pray about opening your home and heart to these children who are in need of families. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Most holy God, you are so gracious to us. You provide us with blessings beyond our imagination and certainly more than what we deserve. But we thank you and we praise you for that. And Father, this morning, we ask that as we open up your word and as we consider your message to us, that we will each prayerfully consider how we might participate in this important need or perhaps that we'll share this message with others that we know have a heart for children who are experiencing disruption. Thank you for this congregation, Father, for their faithfulness to you, for the leadership that looks after their souls and provides many opportunities for them to grow in their love and grace. And Father, I pray that you will bless them and bless this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Agape's mission really is all about providing services for children through foster care, adoption. We also work with uh, maternity clients, who are facing an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, We wish to provide uh, direction and guidance for these young ladies who are in need of of counsel. We also provide adoption. That's the permanent end. Foster care is the temporary end of child care. Adoption is the permanent end of child care. And we also have counseling services, and I won't share much about that this morning since you have someone who serves in that capacity. I'd like us to turn to Scripture this morning, to the book of Mark. There are four passages that I believe help us understand who Jesus is in relation to his love for children. And he is our model. He is our example. He is our spiritual leader. He's laid down for us a couple thousand years ago how to be advocates for children. And at Agape, we look to him to be the one who leads us through that process. If you'll look at Mark chapter 9, and we'll look at verses 33 and following. Jesus had handpicked these apostles, and they're walking along in this journey to Capernaum, and these are just uh, days before the uh, crucifixion. Verse 33, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But these apostles were very quiet, because on the way they had argued about who would be the greatest. That's an interesting conversation. Not many of us participate in that conversation about who is in the greatest in the kingdom of God, because all of us feel so grateful to God that we can even be considered his children. 
But maybe they were immature in their thinking. Maybe they didn't fully understand what Jesus was asking of them. And Jesus replied, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all, in verse 35. So he says, greatness is not about being the top of the list, not about achievement, not about being successful in the way of the world, but greatness comes by way of serving. It's from the ground up. It's looking after those who maybe are not in a position to care for themselves. Now, how can Jesus bring that message home to those apostles in the best way? Could he use Abraham or perhaps Isaac or maybe even King David or Moses? What Jesus does is fascinating. To teach that lesson, he brings a child into their midst. A child. Can you imagine that? A child being used to communicate an important spiritual truth. And that's what Jesus does. Verse 36, he took a little child and had him stand among them and taking this child in his arms. I love that visual. And he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. I love that. When we welcome a child in the name of Jesus Christ, we're not just welcoming the child, we're welcoming Jesus Christ. Those of you who teach children in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or perhaps in public schools or private schools, if you're praying for your children and you're welcoming them into your classroom in the name of Jesus, you're not just welcoming that child. Parents who bring their children home from the hospital or grandparents who welcome children into their homes. I hope that we'll speak to you the importance of welcoming these children because it is an important role in their lives. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So Jesus really puts high remarks on children and how we welcome them into our lives. He doesn't want us just to brush them off as they're some kind of snotty-nosed, ignorant little kids running around wanting our attention. He wants us to open our eyes and our hearts to the value of these little ones. And he says, when you welcome these children in my name, you're not just welcoming me, but you're welcoming the one who sent me. Perhaps the next time you're welcoming a child into your presence, your heart will be touched by them and you'll recognize the importance as how Jesus looks at these children. And your heart will grow fonder of them. And perhaps you'll even look beyond your own children. You'll look at your, the neighbor children and others' children to see how you might welcome them in the name of Jesus. A little bit later in chapter 9, verse 42... Jesus brings home that message once more about the importance of children. He says, and if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, well, it would be better for him if he were to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Jesus really wants the apostles to understand the importance of looking after the best interest of children. He, he wants them to know, do not brush them off as insignificant. Do not mistreat them in any way. Now, it's hard for me to imagine that anyone sitting here would ever intentionally cause a child to sin. But folks, you know as well as I do that this world is a broken world. And children come from a lot of broken situations. And God calls us as his family to open our eyes to these broken situations so we can provide some healing that comes through the power of God. And how do these children experience healing? By being placed in families who have the love of God dwelling with them. 
When these children who are being disrupted from their families experience more disruption, will they ever learn about our God? It's hard to know how. But when Christian families step in and open their hearts and homes to these kids, God begins the healing process of teaching them about what love looks like, what love feels like, what relationship looks like, how families form a unit devoted and determined to God. I think Jesus is wanting us just to be aware of the children in our communities, in our counties, in Middle Tennessee, that are in fact taken advantage of and sinned against because we have something of great value. Even when we turn to chapter 10 of the book of Mark, in my Bible it's categorized as divorce. And of course the Pharisees are coming to Jesus to try to trap him on the topic of divorce. It's a different situation than just talking specifically about children. But I can't help but think that Jesus must still have family in mind. Because in verse 9 he says, Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. I can't help but think he was imagining that children don't need disruption. They need unity. They need moms and dads who are devoted to each other and committed to Christ and that they have Jesus involved in their marriage experience. They pray together. They encourage each other. They support each other. Now, maybe some of you have experienced divorce in some capacity, and it's a horrible experience, and God bless you if you've gone through that. I'm grateful for churches that wrap their arms around these people who've gone through those kinds of experiences, but I've never, ever heard anybody say they really thought divorce was always a good idea because they recognize it's division, it's disruption. Sometimes it has to happen because of violence and other kinds of things that occur because of adultery. But in this context, I think Jesus is wanting us to understand, please be aware Children need unity. They need love. They need examples. And when marriages are together, that's when children can see most clearly. And then down to verse 13 of chapter 10. Four passages in a row. We've gone on a journey this morning. But looking at this passage, it kind of all comes together on how Jesus loves the little children of the world. You see, word was out. People from all over the region were coming to Jesus. They'd heard about him. It says that in verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. Why? Because Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red or yellow, black or white, they're precious in his sight. So people wanted Jesus just to put put his hands on them. That somehow they would walk away eternally changed because of this one from God. I just find it interesting These apostles who had been a part of this journey to Capernaum and all those stories that Jesus had given to them about the importance of children. And what do they do? Look, verse 13. But the disciples rebuked them. What is with those guys? Did they miss the whole truth of what Jesus was wanting them to understand? 
I have to confess, sometimes I miss the truths that God wants me to understand. That's why I'm part of a family fellowship. Week after week after week after week, I hear similar messages from the pulpit, from the classroom, from my Bible study. It's the same thing over and over and over again, and it's for good reason. Because sometimes I don't pick it up as quickly as God wants me to pick it up. And I can't help but think, huh, I can relate to these guys. They're not picking up either as quickly as Jesus wants them to understand. And so he has to bring the message home to them one more time. And I think the message is as important for us today as it was for those apostles. Verse 14 tells us, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was angered. He was extremely displeased. I can almost imagine him just shaking his head saying, don't you guys get it? But he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Let them come. Let them gather around me. Go bring in others. And why is that? Because Jesus wants us to understand the importance of children in his eyes. And you may love your children born into your family or those of you that maybe have experienced adoption or perhaps your grandparents and you love your children, but it's so much more difficult to love those children that are simply faceless. And I'm not talking about in Romania or in China or in Africa. I'm talking about children not far from your homes. Children in our communities For agape, they're not faceless. We see their hurt and their pain. But we know the answer. It's the same answer that Jesus gives us here. At agape, we want children to come. Why? Because we believe Christian people know much more how to care for children and provide for them. Because we provide more than clothing and a roof over their heads and medical services. We provide eternal and sacrificial love. And that's what those children don't often have. So Jesus says, let them come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Wow. Wow. The kingdom of God belongs to children? I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never Enter it. Rarely have I heard that as an invitation. But Jesus is saying, if you don't accept the little, if you don't accept the kingdom of God like a child, you're never going to enter it. What is it that children have for us that's so powerful? Children accept faith simply, don't they? They don't ask a lot of questions. A few weeks ago, our four-year-old granddaughter, one of them, we have twins, I was holding Abigail, and she turned and she looked at the baptistry, and she said, what's that, Papa? And I said, oh, that's the baptistry. That's where people are baptized into Christ, and then they live their lives for Him. And she said, when I be big, I be baptized. She's already thinking about it. Four years of age, she doesn't understand what Jesus did for her. But you know what? If we gave her the opportunity, she would jump at the chance. Why? Because she just wants to do what's right. She doesn't ask questions. She just knows it's what God wants of her. And that's what children teach us. They just simply accept truth. What else do children teach us? 
their mother, Rebecca, back when she was about seven years of age. She came storming through the kitchen with the back door almost hitting her on the backside. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I'm never going to play with Sarah again as long as I live. I said, good for her. I never really liked that, Sarah. <laughs> I, I repented of that, but you can relate to me perhaps. But lo and behold, within 30 minutes, I'm looking at the kitchen window and there's Rebecca playing with Sarah. What's with that? Do I need to go rescue her? Does she not understand what she said? No, God got a hold of my heart at that moment and said, Mike, I want you to learn this lesson. You hold on to grudges far too long. Look at Rebecca. She has forgiven and forgotten. Wow. That's what he wants from us. To accept faith simply, to forgive easily. And children, when you work with them, ask them who would like to stay after class and help clean up the room, and all the arms shoot up. <laughs> Why is that? Because children serve willingly. They love to serve. It makes them feel good to help others. Accepting faith simply, forgiving easily, serving willingly. Those are qualities, and there are many more that children teach us. And when we accept the kingdom of God like little children, we're on the right path. I love the last verse, though, of that passage, verse 16. And he took the children in his arms, and he put his hands on them and blessed them. You see, Jesus shows us what hands-on ministry is all about. And that's what foster care and adoption is all about. It's providing hands-on ministry to children who have experienced disruption, difficulties, all kinds of experiences that make us shudder. It's not a pretty sight to see what many of these children have gone through because they have been used, abused, taken advantage of, abandoned, neglected. And who better can care for these children? That's an easy answer, isn't it? But I ask you, why is it so hard for us to find Christians willing to open their homes and hearts to these kids? We don't have a campus somewhere with, with a need for house parents. All of our services are with children being placed in the homes of Christian families. But I will tell you the thing that breaks my heart more than anything else is that not a week goes by that we say no to children because we don't have Christian families available. You would think, Nashville... We've only lived here a little more than a, a year, and I've heard it said many times, Nashville is the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I don't even know what that means, except it must mean there are a lot of Christians in this area. So it does make me wonder, if there are so many Christians, why are we struggling with finding homes for these kids? Perhaps somebody else has an answer. But I hope what will happen more than anything else is that your hearts will be touched to the point that you will begin praying earnestly that God will raise families here. That God will raise families elsewhere in our region because we serve families and children in Middle Tennessee. You might ask yourself, and I ask myself this question often, what's it like to be a child without a family? I've never been in that situation. I've never been without a home. Even if while I'm here today our home burns to the ground, we'd have a place to stay tonight. 
If I lost my job tomorrow, there would be people who would welcome me into their home. But there are so many who do not have that blessing. And that's why Christians are called to open our hearts and homes to these children. Romans 8, 15-17 tells us that we've received the spirit of sonship. On the spiritual land, we know what it's like to be without a spiritual family. Some of us maybe were raised in the church with Christian families, with Christian parents and grandparents, and maybe we've never really experienced lost. But some of us have. Some of us know what it's like to be snatched out of the snares of Satan. We know what it's like to be part of the family. Ephesians, in love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Isn't that why we're here this morning to praise God that he has adopted us? He pursues us like the father in the prodigal son story. He runs after us. He sets records looking for us. And what a blessing and privilege it is to be counted as part of his family. It's all to serve as a reminder for us that not everybody outside these walls has that experience. That's why he calls on us to live sacrificially. And you know what? That's the hardest part for us as Christians, isn't it? To live sacrificially as a whole. Here in America, we just have so much. So we may have to open our eyes and hearts to the kinds of messages he wants us to have. What is the Christian's response? James tells us religion that God our Father accepts as pure and undefiled or faultless is this, to look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress. There's probably no other passage that's so ideal for what we do at Agape. But we cannot do that service without people like you. We don't know where else to go. And if the Christians don't respond, we're really in a challenging situation, aren't we? Because our board and our staff and those that support us are still convinced it is our Christian responsibility to reach out to those children who are distressed. We can't just close our eyes. We just can't turn off the TV, so to speak, and go our separate way without thinking about these children. God won't let our hearts rest, which is why I do what I'm doing, traveling about three or four times a month, speaking to congregations like Mount Juliet, prompting people just to be prayerful. That's all I'm asking, is that you ask, God, do you want me to pray about this? Is this where you want me or us to serve? I wouldn't want to talk anybody into doing it because it has to be part of your heart saying, I want to be used for God in this way. God gave his church the mission to care for children in need. Agape was established to fulfill that need. That's why we partner with churches all over this region to see what we can do because bottom line for us, we believe every child deserves a family. And I know you're in agreement with that, aren't you? How many of you have served as a foster family in the past? Anyone? Here's a couple. That's the Humphreys, I think. 
Uh, another gentleman back here. Another one right here. Carson. Over here. Wonderful. God bless you. My wife and I got into Christian child care. We've been married maybe four or five years. And we, we were actually house parents with seven teenage girls. That was a little bit uh, eye-opening. Yes, <laughs> yes. How many of you have provided a permanent adoptive home to children? More hands now. And God bless you. It used to be that we had many, many more young ladies who were struggling with a decision about what to do with this child within. Our culture has shifted because 30, 40, 50 years ago, if a young lady was in that situation, guess what? It was an embarrassment. So we would find a grandparent somewhere to send our child to, to have the child and then our child would come back and that baby then would be placed with some good family. It's very different in our culture today. A teenager experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, guess what? It's not the embarrassment that it once was. Many more families are willing to step in and provide a love and care for that child. So we have fewer and fewer infants, healthy infants, that need a home. But what we have seen are an increasing number of sibling groups, special needs, which are minority placements as well as medically challenged or fragile children, and older kids, 12, 13, 14 years of age. So it's not the simple little decision to say, oh, I can take a little baby in. But we believe, because our God is the God of the impossible, that there are families who are being prepared at this very moment to open their home and heart to children that we are serving. We believe that. It, we won't get hundreds of folks coming at one time, but we'll get one or two or three or four or five families that will say, we want to learn more about this. We want to understand what foster care and adoption is all about. I'd like to tell you a story about Kelly. His birth mother and family was unprepared to provide care. He'd been passed from family member to family member. He'd been in and out of foster care. Uh, by the time he came to Agape, and I thought this was pretty fascinating, the state called Agape to say, do you have a family to help us? Wow, praise God for that opportunity. And so we found Kelly a home. He was cared for this family for almost two years before he was finally released for adoption. And this family said, we want to provide for him permanently. We want him as our son. After Kelly was adopted, he changed his name to Javon after his favorite football player, Javon Curse. Javon Curse happened to hear about it, and so he invited some of his football buddies to throw a big party for Javon. But the most powerful thing is what we read at the very bottom. Javon was not only provided a physical home of love and care, he was provided eternal understanding, and Javon is one of our brothers today. 
He's now about 22 years of age. He graduated from high school. He's taking some college classes and working part-time. But I just wonder, what would have happened to Kelly, now Javon, if Agape had not been there? What would have happened to him? Would he have just become another sad statistic? A number that doesn't really mean anything to us? Like in the state of Tennessee, there are over a thousand children waiting for adoption today? A thousand? Well, that doesn't really mean anything. But when you start getting pictures and names and circumstances, that's when the heart begins to respond because Javon is not just a number. He's a child of God. And God is looking to us to be His hands, His feet, His spokespeople. What does foster care look like with Agape? We have about 20 to 40 children in care at any given day. Over 100 children are placed in loving Christian homes each year. That's both foster care and adoption. We do work with the state of Tennessee, which I think is a wonderful opportunity. In fact, just recently... Uh, we are being given more and more of an opportunity to place children in Davidson County. So we're really going to go after uh, a bigger push now to get more families from the Davidson County area because the state is saying, we need assistance. I just consider that a great honor and privilege that God has laid upon us. Placements with Agape are mostly voluntary, meaning that the parents come to us or perhaps they've been referred by some social service agency to say, can you help us with this family? When they go through the state, there is a little bit of a different challenge because typically those children are involved in the court system. And there are many restrictions related to that court process. But here's our biggest challenge. When our foster families end up adopting the child in their home, like the Parman family did with Javon, what that does for our pool of foster families, you can imagine, it shrinks. And that's why we're here today in need of families. What does it take to be a foster parent? I'm going to whip through this real quickly just to give you an overview. We do have a display in the back right out these uh, double doors here with lots of information, a place to sign up for more information. <clears throat> the steps to becoming a foster parent or a resource parent all must go through a path training, parents as tender healers. We want to be able to give families the best foundation in which to care for these children. We want to reduce the questions and the surprises as much as we possibly can. You see, these children coming in, they're going to probably use language that you absolutely abhor. Their behavior is going to be the kind of behavior that you worked hard teaching and training your children not to participate in. But these kids have tried to figure out how to survive in a horrible world. And that's what we do. We provide a balanced perspective. We provide them with truth that can work on their lives, their hearts, their minds, and help mold them into the kind of people God wants them to be. There's a home study involved as well. Ten lessons in the path training. So it is a time of commitment. It's a time of sacrifice on your part. 
But the home study, that's where a social worker comes into your home, and they're going to evaluate your home, not, not the white glove treatment above the doorpost. They're, they're going to ask questions about your parenting style, your marriage experience, your financial situation, your home environment. They will look at some of the safety issues because it's simply a responsibility on our part to make sure the children are coming into a good environment. Sadly, sometimes we have found situations that information was misrepresented and children became a part of a home environment. Perhaps they were doing it only for the purpose of gaining some additional funding, but it ended up being a very difficult and painful situation. We had to go back in and take the child from that home. Fortunately for us, that's very rare because we're working with quality people, people who love God and who want to be honorable and do not seek to misrepresent. In addition, there are things like a physical exam with tuberculosis tests, background checks. Uh, there are references, um, medicals, um, financial statements. All of those things will help give us a picture of your family so that we know what areas may need some additional attention before that child or children come into your environment. We do provide some financial assistance. You won't be able to retire. It's simply to help with food and clothing and some of the other uh, items that are necessary for caring for children. We provide an awful lot of support, though. Our social workers are truly available 24-7. And you know why? Because we want to make sure that placement is not disrupted. That child or children do not need to go through one more disruption. They need stability and security. That's what Jesus said. And that's why we want to work so hard at finding families and helping them and supporting them through the process. <clears throat> I think this thought perhaps is the most powerful for us as Christians. We sometimes wonder, oh, I'd love to pray, God, use me in any way, but I'm afraid he might ask me to move to Africa. I remember thinking about that years ago. But God does ask something of all of us as Christians to be missionaries in our own home. And with foster care and adoption, you're able to do that. Every day you're teaching the eternal truths that God has laid upon your heart. I sometimes wonder, is there anything more important than teaching the next generation about Jesus Christ? Let me just briefly... Uh, say some comments about our maternity services simply because you may know people, neighbors or relatives or friends at school who might experience an unplanned pregnancy and, and who do they turn to? It's, in a, it's a difficult circumstance for some people because they don't have the family support. What I like about Agape's work is we're going to give them all the attention they need to help them process what truly is in the best interest of the child within. The good thing is that they've typically already made the decision not to abort their child when they call agape. So we have an opportunity to talk with them about, is parenting the best choice for you? Are you in a position in which you can provide for that child adequately? Do you have a home? Do you have medical services provided? Do you have incoming revenue or, or financial assistance to help you? What's your support base look like? And sometimes they determine at that point, we still do need families for infants. It's just not as common as it once was. But sometimes after we talk with them about all the challenges of parenting, then those young ladies decide, I think it probably is best for my child. Perhaps it's the most loving thing I can do to place my child into an adoptive home. We think that that can be a helpful process for them to determine that. 
At Agape, we're not going to try to force them into any particular path because they have to be the ones that live with their decisions. So we want to provide the most broad Christian perspective that's possible. If she chooses to parent, we're going to provide all the kinds of guidance that we can to help them. What about adoption? It's a little bit different, especially if it's an infant. If it's an older child, you'll follow through that path training just like in the foster care end. If not, there's a three-session training for caring for an an infant and what is necessary for caring for that child from the legal end. Many people already know how to feed and change diapers and those kinds of things. That's not the lessons provided. It's more from helping this child understand the beauty of the adoption process. Because they're going to grow up and they're going to have questions. And so we want to help families understand what it means. Well, how does one become an adoptive parent? Sometimes if you're a foster parent and that child in your home is released for adoption, that's one way. Or, as I said, the three-week preparation for adoption training class. If it's a special needs, the PATH training. And then the required items, physical exams, financial statements, criminal record checks, and so forth. You think, wow, there's an awful lot that's required for adoption and foster care. Too bad parents in general don't have to go through some process like this. We'd probably have less, less, less out of uh, marriage births, which is probably true, but I don't know how you'd get that legislation passed. We are required to do these things because Agape is a licensed child-placing agency in the state of Tennessee, and so we follow many of the same avenues that they do simply because we're required to. But we do have that extra dimension that we believe is the most powerful because it comes really from deep within. I'll just briefly uh, mention uh, information about our counseling. Some folks, as I mentioned, go through divorce care. We have services to provide all kinds of assistance for those who are experiencing some challenges. Well, let me just, uh, in closing, uh, ask you to pray specifically that God would raise families from the Mount Juliet Church to be willing to consider foster care or adoption as an option. That you would tell others that you know, perhaps you went to Lipscomb and you know friends all over the area, and perhaps they haven't thought about this as a way of serving God. There's any number of ways, and I'll be glad to talk with you about it. But I just want you to leave with this message. Every child, we believe, deserves a family. God has laid upon Agape and the board and staff that we're part of that process. But Agape can't do that without Christian families. That's the bottom line for us. I'm not here to lay guilt upon anyone. I'm not here to prompt people to go against their nature, to go against their experience, to go against their family, but rather to ask yourself a question, how can we partner with Agape to reach out to our community, to reach out to Middle Tennessee, to ensure that every child that wants a family, that needs a family, has an opportunity to experience a Christian family. That's it. 
Will you pray about that? Will you add it to your prayer list? Church leaders, when you meet for meetings, will you just say a little 10-second prayer in addition to what you're already praying about? That God might raise families here to help us do what God has called us to do. We've got about a minute and a half. Does anyone wish to ask a question? I've thrown a lot of information to you. You've been so attentive. Anyone have any question that I could maybe uh, address that would be relevant to everybody present? If not, I will be at that back table and would be more than happy to talk with you a little bit before the second worship, and then uh, I'll stick around after the second worship as well. Let's, uh, let's join our hearts in prayer and seek God's continued involvement. Most holy God, we are honored that you have adopted us as your children. And we can see what love you have lavished upon us day after day. Here in this auditorium, Father, there are so many husbands and wives that have made a commitment to love you till death departs them. And they have made a commitment to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I ask that you bless them. Bless the marriages and bless the families. Father, this morning I'm also mindful of children this very day that love the idea of being in a family where they know when they lay their head on their pillow at night that they'll be able to wake up with lots of love. It breaks my heart, Father, and perhaps all of our hearts when we know of children who are being overlooked. You've given to Agape the opportunity to serve these children. And I ask, Father, that some from this congregation will begin seriously and sincerely praying to you for leading them in making a decision for their family. I know, Father, from my perspective as a house parent and later as a foster dad, that every child that came through our home blessed our lives and blessed the church that we were part of. I think that's your plan, Father, that it's not just a selfish decision, but rather how the kingdom of God can enter in and be a part of helping those children who've been distressed. Thank you for loving us again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.